theory or practice, it's a constant battle when you're teaching. I'm Dr. Joy Patterson, the Director of Educator Preparation at Governor State University and the College of Education. And I'm Dr. Amy Viaclia, Governor State University Assistant Professor of English Teacher Education. In teaching and learning theory versus practice, Dr. Joy and I will duke it out over whether theory or practice wins the match. Yeah, I can't wait. So whether you're a teacher, an education leader, or looking to learn more about the field, you can hear from industry experts on education topics. We invite you to be the judge as we box it out. Stick around to find out who wins this week's match. Good morning. How are you today, Joy? Good morning, Amy. I'm excited about today. Uh, I mean, we're going to talk about technology, right? And we're all have technology on our brain right now. So I'm excited about this conversation today. Well, and Laurie Hendrickson, I met first through the Illinois Writing Project. She's on the leadership team uh, with me, and I've just worked on some projects with her and have been blown away with her expertise with technology, teaching with technology. Uh, most recently, she presented to our uh, professional development group about media literacy. And the sequence of lessons that she was providing and sharing with us to use in our own classrooms were just so intricately developed, but they built on one another and allowed choice, allowed for student exploration and inquiry. And so I just really uh, want her to share some of these resources with us and who informs her practice. Yeah, I don't know Amy like you do, but I did read her bio and had a chance to chat with her. You know, she's a middle school teacher like we are, so she gets a plus there. And uh, I'm just personally, I'm looking forward to learning a lot about integrating technology, some of the opportunities and the challenges. I'm looking forward to learning so much from her, and I'm sure our listeners are looking forward to learning so much. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Laurie. Yes, indeed. Let's bring her on. Okay. So welcome, Laurie. We're so happy to have you with us today. Hi. Thank you for inviting me. Good morning, Laurie. Uh, Good morning, you're Joy. School, you're a middle school teacher, so we have three former middle school teachers here. I guess that makes us all a little special. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is a unique age. <laughs> it has some challenges and lots of rewards. Well, after having worked in middle school, which I absolutely love, it's, it was hard to turn my back on it. Uh, and maybe I didn't really turn my back. I, I am in teacher education now and get to work with future middle school and high school teachers. But after retirement, what prompted you to continue working in education as a supervisor and adjunct instructor, um, Illinois Writing Project leadership team member? Well, I was a um, 
uh, graphic designer I, <clears throat> for most of my career. And I changed careers uh, midlife and became a teacher because um, I was running a freelance business out of my home and I was just bored and kind of wanting a new adventure. And so I really took stock of what I was interested in. And those things were technology, visual and written communications, reading, traveling, learning. And that led me to teaching. So I got a, uh, my MIT at DePaul and became a teacher in River Forest at the middle school. That was my first job right out of school. And I was there for my whole teaching career. Um, I specialized really in integrating technology into the curriculum. I um, spent a lot of effort doing that, but I also did a lot of other really, really fun things while I was a teacher. Um, I gained an endorsement in gifted education. I earned another master's degree in reading. I built a makerspace in my classroom. I taught an after school STEM class. I supervised a robotic team. I served as an instructional specialist. Uh, I taught writing to students in, in India, and I provided professional development um, workshops to teachers in Lithuania. And honestly, my life as a teacher has been so much fun. And I love teaching and I love education, uh, but being a classroom teacher, as you know, is pretty all consuming. So I wanted to slow down, but I definitely didn't want to stop teaching and learning. All I can say is, wow. <laughs> That's a lot, Laurie. Uh, you know, I got my MAT at DePaul University, too. Oh. We'll, have to, we'll have to talk offline about when you may have been there, because I started my career as a research microscopist. And, you know, like me, I discovered teaching a little later, and I discovered my love of teaching before I actually went into it professionally. So we have some things to talk about later. You know, I do want to talk about technology and there are so many things about technology that you have experience with uh, so I'm going to talk about the little nuggets that I know about mm -hmm. and one of the things is that I flipped my class on many occasions and you know I do that because I found it's very beneficial to get the knowledge level and the comprehension level information out so those things that would normally take place in a direct instruction or lecture form so that I can do more of the application analysis sensitive things in my classroom. And I found that that's worked really, really well for me. Um, and so there's been some advantages and disadvantages. Can yes. you talk more specifically about your focus of technology when you're using it for instruction? Yeah, I, um, you know, I never use technology for technology's sake. I always use it within the curriculum with a specific uh, purpose. And um, I use it, I, I'm a big believer in creating something to learn and technology gives you a great platform for doing that. And my students created many, many things that had to do with, with the curriculum that they were studying, but with the use of technology. So, um, when I first started teaching in River Forest, uh, it, it was, um, we were, the, the district was beginning to realize that um, students were spending a lot of time on computers at home. And, um, you know, they were gaining a lot of skills that we didn't recognize and that we didn't reward, really. And so it kind of made a, a break between home and school. So, so my district, um, to their credit, decided that we would bring technology into the schools and have the students using technology at school as well as at home. So um, 
at one point they offered us all of this technology equipment if we wanted it and it, it included a computer and an ipod and a digital camera and and a still camera and so of course i jumped on that and uh i just jumped right into it you know i i didn't really fear it and uh the kids helped me along uh, so the very first project i did was i just had them write a poem about themselves draw a picture of themselves on kid pics, and then I put it on a loop and showed it at open house. And the parents loved it, the kids loved doing it, and then I was hooked. So then I bought a, a book called Digital Storytelling in the Classroom by, James, uh, by Jason Oler, and that became my Bible. I really, oh, I read that book over and over. I bought it for a lot of other teachers, and it gave me a lot of confidence to really jump in. And one of the main things uh, he talked about was making green screen movies, and this was foreign to me. I never thought I could make a green screen movie, but it wasn't that hard, and he gave me the confidence to try it. So over the years, my students made many, many, many green screen movies. Um, one that comes to mind was a story that some girls uh, created. They were, we were studying a, a, a biography unit and they created this uh, project where it was all in the classroom. They had a green, a green screen and a camera, movie camera. And so they were doing a movie about Van Gogh. And so what they did was they would fall into the picture and of a Van Gogh picture. So it was like they fell into the picture and then they would look around and describe the picture, you know, and, and it was so fun and they did it all on their own time and they came in extra and worked on it and they just had the best time. They were engaged and it related to the curriculum. So, um, I mean, I could, I could illustrate dozens of projects that my kids did that you would never expect 11, 12 year old kids to do. And, and I'm going to let Amy jump in here, but I do have a question following up. So of course you may have had some technology standards, but I imagine you may have been working on either social science or some literature standards. Did you yes. find that you're incorporating that type of technology helped them in those other standards, motivated them and helped them in the other standards? Um, yeah, oh, uh, yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, they would, these were long projects. Um, they would, they would do tons of reading, tons of writing before I would ever let them start uh, making a project with technology. So they met lots and lots of standards. They uh, worked on lots and lots of skills during this, this whole procedure. So absolutely, um, they learned uh, just a lot before they ever touched the, the technology. You know, you were talking about storytelling. You mentioned the book, uh, mm -hmm. Digital Storytelling. And we've talked before about how teaching is uh, about telling stories or students learn better through storytelling. How does this storytelling apply to teaching with technology? or even across other content areas? Mm -hmm. uh, one of the big things that my students did was they made digital stories. And, and those could be a lot of different things. They could be research-based, they could be personal, they could be a combination of the two, which they very often were. Um, but it really is all about the story. Um, story is really at the center of human activity. That's what we remember. Um, I, 
you could probably imagine um, a ton of PowerPoint slideshows that you've seen that were facts, 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 facts. And you know, you go away and you don't really think about it again. But stories really help in remembering. And they really help in remembering when they have some kind of a, an emotional component and um, some kind of transformation. So what did they learn? Uh, how did they change? Um, this actually reminds me of a story. When I first started doing these digital stories, I had a student, she was a sixth grader, and she was doing a digital story about her family going to Disneyland. Now, this could have been a story that, that sounded like, oh, I went to Disneyland, we had so much fun, we went on all kinds of rides, we you know, ate all kinds of fun food, it was a great time, and then we came home. But she didn't because I had taught her um, how to write a, a small story, small seed story, about a day and not to talk about the whole day. And she wrote a story about how she got lost at Disneyland. And it was a day where she had been with her brothers and her parents and her brothers were giving her a hard time and she was crabby and, you know, wish she wasn't there with her brothers. And, um, and so then she got lost and she was a bright little girl and she knew that if she panicked, um, she might attract some people that didn't have her best interest in heart. So she calmed herself down. She, and once she calmed herself down, she remembered that uh, there was a lost child pavilion and, and she remembered where it was. So she walked over there and you know they were very supportive and they gave her something to drink and sat her down and said, your parents will probably come here. And she waited and waited and finally they came in and they all rushed in. They were all crying because they were so relieved to find her. And she had this transformation. She realized that um, her family really loved her and how special they were to her and how wonderful it was to have them. And, you know, she talked about these universal themes of getting lost and valuing your family and things like that. And um, it was just a charming, charming video. And it also, you know, then everyone in the class started remembering their lost child stories, you know, because we've all been there. We've all done that. It connected to us in a very personal way. So that's what I try to do with these digital stories is have, have that emotional component um, and have some kind of life-changing change. You know, Laurie, we're going to have to have you back again also just on a segment of digital stories. It's very intriguing to me and kind of a, a, a show and tell. I really mm -hmm. want to see that. And you mentioned earlier that students are learning uh, to use a lot of technology on their own. They're using technology at home. Some, you know, they're born with a tablet in their hand now. And your school recognized how much students already knew about technology. So do you use any social media as part of your instructional tool? And if so, how, how do you You know, that's a really good question. And with my middle schoolers, I. At one point, I was an instructional specialist, and I did create um, some materials for a media literacy unit for them. And so they tried with their students, one of the projects was they could take like a Twitter campaign and uh, get people to comment on what they were posting. And, and it didn't really work out all that well. The students were using it more for personal use and they weren't as interested in using it for schoolwork. Um, so then I, I, I sort of lost interest in doing that and I couldn't really figure out a way 
uh, to teach social media in a real meaningful way. Now having, so that was when I was a teacher. Now having left teaching and had time to really think about media literacy and think about social media, I have learned a lot about, you know, teaching students how to use social media responsibly. And there's a lot of information out there on that. And I've been curating it and creating units and lessons. And so <clears throat> I'm not an expert at it, but I have gotten into it. Well, and that brings up something that I'd like to know. Uh, if you were teaching right now during this pandemic, is this something that you would embrace uh, the, uh, the direction we're going with uh, remote teaching and learning? I don't see it going away even if we are in face-to-face -face instruction. There might not be anything like a snow day anymore. When, when we are face-to-face. -face. <laughs> no, that's absolutely right. It is, it's not going away, and especially at the university level. I mean, online learning gives students such flexibility um, with their, you know, with their time uh, and their responsibilities. So I don't think it's going away. And um, yes, I would absolutely embrace it if I was still teaching. And um, not that I don't miss teaching face-to-face. -face. I love teaching face-to-face. Teaching face -face. There's an energy you get when you're with students and other teachers that I miss horribly. Um, and it, there are a lot of challenges to it. And the challenges are keeping kids motivated and engaged. And it takes a lot of work to do that. So, you know, I, I worry about some classroom teachers who just don't have the time to really change the way they're teaching um, because you can't just take a lesson that you gave face to face and then just transfer it to online there's a lot of different components that you have to think about as far as engagement you've got to you know teach less speak less have more hands-on projects um, have uh, ways to make sure that students are are still interested and still engaged and still listening uh, by using a lot of formative assessments um, but I think it has, I think it really has the ability to create more independent learners. I was finding in middle school that students were becoming more and more um, connected to the teachers as far as um, getting information from them instead of finding the information by themselves. And, um, you know, in this day and age, they really need to be independent learners because technology changes constantly. And so they've got to learn and unlearn programs and change the way they teach and do different things. And so I, th I think we have a big opportunity to teach students to do that, to read directions critically, to follow directions, to problem solve, to figure out um, how to portray something. Um, so I think it has a lot of benefits and, you know, some drawbacks. I mean, teaching, you know, as we all know, learning is a social endeavor and um, you need to be talking to uh, your right. peers. And there are breakout rooms, but then again, that's a learning curve too. How do you keep breakout rooms interesting? How do you, you know, how do you time it so kids get their work done in the breakout room, and then they can go back to the full class and report out on what they've done. How do you make their work um, visible to everybody so that, you know, with shared documents, we can see what's going on in each 
breakout room. I know teachers go back and forth with different rooms, um, but I think there's more we can do to make their learning visible too. So those are, you know, these are all challenges that we're all facing right now. So, so I'm glad you brought up some of the challenges, you know, we are really talking about some of the benefits of using technology and how to use it and integrate it into your classroom. But there are some drawbacks as you mentioned and some challenges. I was speaking one-on-one -on -one to a student, Amy and I were having this conversation. She's a freshman in college. She's actually embracing this remote learning, you know, other freshmen not so much because of course they were looking forward to coming to college and all the social activities but she was actually embracing being remote because she was an introvert you know she was bullied in the past and she was anxious about going to college so this has been a nice segue for her you know to start college and so I just want to know about if we could talk about for a second the social emotional aspects that goes into face-to-face -face versus online or remote virtual yeah that's probably the most important aspect of online teaching and really at the beginning of any class um, teachers really need to be concentrating on those social emotional um, learning standards um, because it's very important uh, for students to feel comfortable uh, in in remote learning um, it's easy for them to hide and um, you know a lot of them won't show their faces on the camera and they won't participate they won't be an active participant because they're shy they don't want to um, so by by getting them to feel comfortable and safe in the online community and to feel like they're um, an active participant and that their voice matters uh, I think that that we have to spend a lot of time doing you know warm-up activities and team building activities and maybe just some fun games um, and really um, teach teach it in a way that's non-threatening to these shy introverted students so that they do participate because as we all know you know a class is way more interesting if everybody is participating so um, you know I think that that really takes some time to do. The other thing we really need to do, and we can do this easier in the classroom when we observe students and see what their ability level is, see what their strengths are, uh, we can't do online as easily. So I think we need to be sending out surveys and having them write in journals and so we get to know them. We get to know their reading ability, their writing ability, their uh, interests, their learning styles. Um, and I think we have to make more of an effort to do that and, you know, something like Google Forms makes that really easy to do. You uh, were talking about building community and you mentioned uh, some like games and things. What have you found the most effective or what have in your research or in, um, you know, in face-to-face -face classrooms that might translate or transfer to online spaces uh, in building community? Um, well, uh, one, one thing we did, and I did this with my university students, um, was we did a what if. So what if online learning resulted in, and then they would have to fill in the blanks. And that, we did it in, in an Illinois writing project meeting, and it was really fun. And when I did it with my students, it was really fun too. And so, and, and at that time I could teach 
a program like Padlet, where there's a, a wall where, where they could go in there and write down things, you know. Um, and that was really fun. And, and then I used Padlet and had them write down um, um, icebreaker activities, write down a time when you had a really good time um, with an icebreaker activity, write down a time when you thought it was really stupid and embarrassing, you know, and so they, they really got into that. And um, that was really fun. Um, another, another thing I've always done with my students uh, in middle school, and I, I honestly think this will um, work for university students as well. But we would go around the room and I would take something like a yardstick and I would say, this is not a yardstick, this is a bow and arrow. And then the other person would say, this is not a yardstick, this is a violin. And we would go around the room and, and, and you could pass if you wanted to. Um, and so we'd go around the room and some people would pass and some people would have these really cute ideas, really imaginative, creative ideas. And then once we went around once, they would all want to go around again and then everyone would participate. So, so something like that um, is fun. Another thing we did is we all uh, gave ourselves a symbol of some sort, you know, and so then we attached that symbol to their name. And that was, we did that at the beginning of the year when we were just learning everybody's names. And, and so then people sometimes would see them in the hall and they would do their symbol, you know, to say hi or something, you know, so just ways to get them to connect with each other. Uh, there are a million online um, warm up activities or icebreaker activities to use. So Laurie, what is your philosophy about cameras off, cameras on? How do you feel about that? Oh, you know, yeah. and, and um, <laughs> my students, I, you know, I can do a better job if your cameras are on, so that I feel like I'm, I need it too as a teacher. You know, so as much as you're trying to motivate your students, I think as teachers, we have to make things interesting for ourselves, so that we are teaching with fidelity, and you know, and that we're able to motivate them. So I need to have their cameras on. What, how do you feel about it? Well, I, I feel like cameras should always be on. Um, you know, it, it's, it's very hard to connect to somebody when you just see a, a printed name and you don't see their face. You need to see their face and their expressions. And um, so I'm, I'm big on that. Now I have a student teacher who worries about that um, because she said some of her students don't um, have an environment that they wanna show online or something like that. And she doesn't wanna push them to do that, and I guess I wouldn't want to, you know, force them to. But I think if I think if we start having fun with games and it seems non-threatening, and the kids in the class seem nice, I think we'll get them to turn them on. We have to see their face, and 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 students should hear their names every day. They, you know, um, I did an observation yesterday, and the student teacher as students came into the class, online classroom, she welcomed them by names. And so they heard their name. And um, I don't know, it's, I, I just think it's so important um, for students to understand that their presence is important, that their participation is important, that we want to hear their voice, um, and we want to hear what they have to say. Uh, so I guess if I had a, and, and I've also heard that some students don't 
want to be put on the spot by answering questions that maybe they don't know or they don't have time, you know, because some people process things slower than others. And so, you know, they don't want to answer a question right out of the chute. So I think it helps to have them write their, give them time to write their answer um, or um, give the, you know, give them some non-threatening uh, questions for a while so they get used to answering. Um, you know, an opinion, everybody can have an opinion. There's not one right answer and one wrong answer. And I think if we make the subject relevant to their lives, they're going to have some opinions. I think students right now are going to have some opinions about the the election, some opinions about Black Lives Matter. I think they're going to have some opinions about COVID. Those are things that are impacting them. There are also things that are probably impacting them a little negatively. So maybe they need to talk about those things. So you brought up something that's interesting. So my favorite mode of instruction is using a Socratic method, you know, yeah. an inquiry method. And I do a lot of questionings, which I found it a little hard to do remotely, but you've just given me some interesting ideas of how to do that. Uh, since we were talking about cameras on, can you share, this is a little, little fun, what should your workspace look like? Oh, <laughs> well, um, that's interesting because when I was a teacher, I um, got very into maker spaces. And um, maker spaces are spaces are just areas in in the school where you uh, kids you you would furnish it with um, a lot of resources electronics and art supplies and knitting supplies and sewing supplies and all kinds of things and students could go in there and just create um, and it could be create creating something for a class or it could be just creating something for fun so Is that a virtual background or a real background Mine is real. This is my space. So I created a makerspace in my home and my husband's an artist and, and I like to do art projects. And um, so I've combined it as a place to work. And my husband works from home too sometimes. And um, so it's a place to work. It's a place to create. We've got all kinds of supplies around. We've got paints and uh, we have these found, we got into found objects, making sculptures with found objects. And we've got all kinds of found objects and, you know, we have everything we need for, to, for work and everything we need. So it's kind of all jammed into one space, but you feel creative when you walk in here. I think it's important for students to have a space too, and not everyone is lucky enough to have, you know, an empty room that they can do this with. We're empty nesters, so we have this room and, and that's great. But I, but I think it's important to have a little, find a little nook of your own, even if it's in a closet or, you know, just a corner of a room, uh, just a place for you to keep your supplies. So they're always at hand. You know, I started recently knitting and, um, and I had it, all my knitting stuff in this bag that my mother-in-law gave me. And uh, my husband said, you know what you need? You need a basket so that it's easy for you to access your knitting and you'll be more likely to do it. And it's the same thing with school. You know, if you don't have, if you have to get up and go look for a pencil or, or, a, you know, a charger or something, you're just not going to get as engaged and you won't get into that flow of learning. So I, I think it's really important to figure out a way to have your own little space. So, Laurie, I know you've done a lot of research, a lot of uh, building of units. Media literacy was really impressive whenever you 
presented to the Illinois Writing Project during professional development. Now I want to ask, what do you find most interesting or, or fascinating with remote teaching and learning? Um, just learning, you know, learning about different topics. I mean, I, I've just loved that. My whole teaching career has been a joy because of that. Just, you know, finding, finding things and curating um, articles and uh, reading books and figuring things out. And because as a teacher, you can never learn everything. So there's always something to learn and it, it changes so fast anyway. Um, but I found that really interesting. I found it interesting to, uh, to get back to storytelling, to create units that tell a story, that have a beginning, a middle, and an end. You know, learning units that um, uh, hit all the Bloom's taxonomy items, uh, and to, uh, and it is a taxonomy, so it goes kind of in a in a linear line. So you can really you can really organize your units to tell a story and to get from one point to another. So I guess that's what I really love about it. It's just challenging and fun and I just, and I'm an introvert too. So, you know, to read and to go online, I mean, that's kind of my thing. Well, to follow that up, what are your biggest concerns? About we've about, no, we've talked about some challenges with online instruction, but are there some is there anything that's concerning or what concerns you about remote teaching and learning? Um, I guess it's just kind of what I said. It's, 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 you just lose that energy that you get from being around other people. And that's so important, you know, and, and just the time that it takes to do this for me to, to do um, a unit and to really think it through from start to finish takes a really long time. And when you're a full-time classroom teacher, it is hard to find that time, when you, especially when you're balancing it with a family of your own. So I don't know that we're gonna get where we need to go with online learning fast enough. Oh, I agree. You know, I feel like there's so much to learn and I feel competent in technology but this remote learning has really, really pushed that. And it's pushed me in a way to want to learn more. I'm actually involved in a certificate online uh, program oh. and learning a lot because I'm finding there's a huge difference between remote instruction and online instruction. It mm -hmm. takes a lot of work and preparation. And so, you know, I was thinking about your career as a designer Mm -hmm. And it seemed very natural that if you're going to do a career change to teaching, that technology and instruction would just fit in with your ability to design. So can you talk about how you have played a role in maybe helping other teachers or the school? Because I know you want to keep that continuity either between grade levels or what's going on in the school. Yes. You know, I do, like I said, I have the luxury of time now that I'm retired to really think these things through. So this is what I teach in um, a university class or my um, workshops for the Illinois Writing Project. I try and show um, teachers how to make it student-centered, um, how to um, design, some, and, and, and here's where my design experience really comes in. You want it to be attractive. You want people to be drawn to what you're doing and and the visual aspect of it does make a difference 
um, if if it's uh, laid out um, in a in a way that makes it easier from to go from one topic to another, um, that really makes a difference. And um, a long time ago in my career, I worked for the University of Chicago, and it was a research center where they did um, surveys. And so how those surveys looked was very important. Um, and so I learned how to make things readable and how to um, allow you to follow from one thing to another easily. So, so I did learn a lot about that. And I try and do that um, whenever I'm doing something with my students to you know, chunk information, use colors to separate it, use lines, use motion, um, all of those things that I learned as a graphic designer come into play um, for online because it's a very visual medium and um, it's all about what you're seeing because you're not really in the classroom anymore with all the bulletin boards and the, the things that are all around the, the room that kind of stimulate that creativity and so on. Wow, I think that that schools and teachers will be seeking some more of you to help them create the units that tell stories and to integrate more technology in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. uh, as we kind of wrap up, I always like to ask our guests to share references, mm -hmm. share researchers or other professionals in the field that uh, yeah. inform your work, your research, and your instruction. Yeah, you know, I have um, so many mentors I, and so many authors that I follow that I could never um, do them all, uh, list them all. But, you know, when I first got into um, teaching um, English language arts, um, my mentors were people like Nancy Atwell and Ralph Fletcher, uh, Lucy Calkins, Katie Wood Gray, Kelly Gallagher, Troy Hicks, and so many others. Um, and but I did list a few. I do have a few that I I'm using right now in my work on online learning and um, media literacy and creating. And one of them is Create to Learn. This is a book by Renee Hobbs. Um, she's from the University of Rhode Island, I believe. And um, she is very into creating to learn and online learning. Um, and she has a very active. Um, website. She, I just recently um, joined a community of uh, media literacy teachers and that we get together once a month and talk about video or documentary or a book or an article or something we've, we've read. Um, so she's just a great person to follow. And, and also uh, Universal Design for Learning is a nice way to kind of organize your lesson plans too. And I have this book called Teaching Every Student in the Digital Age. That's by David Rose and Ann Meyer. And they talk about using UDL online, which is, has been very helpful for me. Um, and then um, I, used to, I used to work in River Forest with a woman named Holly Clark, and she was the technology specialist at our school for a little while. She's since moved to California and become a consultant, but she has a great book called The Google-Infused Classroom, A Guide to Making Thinking 
visible and amplifying student voice. And her name is Holly Clark, and she wrote this with a woman named Tanya Avrith. And um, it is, it's a little book, it's very inexpensive, and I always recommend it to my uh, technology students. It, it works together with making things visible, which is, which are a lot of formative assessments that can be used. So that's a great resource. And then I just today found some articles. One is called, How Do You Make Zoom Breakout Rooms Less Boring? So um, this is a blog post by Bonnie Stakowiak. I, I think that's how you say her name. And it's, she has a list of all these things that you can do to um, energize breakout rooms. And I just did an observation with my student teacher yesterday and she did such a great job because what she did is she gave a very, very quick mini lesson and she told the students exactly what they needed to know to do this assignment. And then she broke them up into, into um, uh, breakout rooms and with a little activity that they had to do together. Um, and, and I went in a couple of the rooms and, and in one room I was in, the students had a question and they, you know, if they were in the classroom, they would have immediately raised their hand to ask the teacher what to do. And, but they didn't. They figured out what they had to do to find the answer. And so I thought that was really eye-opening. Um, you know, this online learning might be a way um, for students to problem solve a little bit better than they have been instead of just counting on the teacher to spoon feed them every single bit of information. And I think that is a good thing. The other one, oh, this is a really good one. The importance of building online learning communities. So, so this article gives tons and tons of tips and tons and tons of examples um, about what you can do to create that online learning. This is from Value Ed and the author is uh, Jody Donovan. Um, and I just ran across them this morning when I was looking for some uh, for um, some articles to read while I was having my coffee. <laughs> wow, you have shared such a wealth of resources, and I know that I'll be checking out some of these articles. I definitely need to understand how to make a Zoom breakout room a little less boring. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and. Whenever I was uh, using breakout rooms with my classes, I, I realized there is a, a maximum number really that you should have because it's just nearly impossible to get to seven breakout rooms. By the time you're at number seven and you realize they didn't quite go in the, the direction you were hoping they would, they've lost several minutes. Mm -hmm. So it's... Uh, some of those tips will be extremely important for all of us as we continue with remote teaching and learning. But we've also uh, created this space where it's okay to have meetings online or to have these breakouts and professional developments online. It's a, uh, we're moving in a different direction. I we do miss the face-to-face. -face. I do miss the community building that, mm -hmm. you know, that, uh, your face-to-face -face interactions provide. But we will, I think, be moving towards a blend of both of these in yeah. the future. It's not going to be one or the other. I agree with that. I, I, think that's, I think that's a good direction for us to be moving into. Yes. Kind of the best of both worlds. 
Well, it was really wonderful having you today, Laurie. We've learned so much. I personally learned so much, and we have so much to share with our listeners. And like I said before, we're looking forward to having you back again. I think what I like most is the digital storytelling. So I am so looking forward to maybe a demo of that. Absolutely. I, I, have, I actually teach that a lot. So um, I'd be so happy to come in and, and share that with you. Great. Well, thank you so much. And we look forward to that next session, talking to you on teaching and learning theory versus practice. Well, this was fun for me too. Thank you so much. Amy, Laurie was fascinating. I am blown away by her talent and her experience and everything that she has to offer. And I just wanted to go over some takeaways you know, that I got from the lesson. Uh, one was talk less, smile more. Well, actually, that's from Hamilton. She didn't really say that, but I thought I'd throw that in there. But I'm sure you should smile more. If you're Absolutely. Virtual. Because she also said to keep those cameras on whenever right. possible. Yeah, so Keep your cameras on unless, you know, we understand that sometimes students may have backgrounds that they don't want you to see. And so she wants you to keep your cameras on uh, because I need someone that can motivate me that I can talk to. Uh, but I'm glad you caught that. I could tell your smile, you caught that Hamilton joke. <laughs> uh, so we want more activities, uh, digital storytelling. So that really fascinated me. And so I'm looking forward to bringing Laurie back so she can do maybe a demo for us on uh, digital storytelling. Maybe we can do a Facebook with that. Uh, imaginative community building activities, uh, doing games, icebreakers. So I, that's something that I do. I do a quote at the beginning of every class and I ask the student to read it, someone to interpret it, and then someone to apply it to their life. And that kind of gets things, you know, going. Uh, the maker spaces. Uh, she has an amazing maker space. So our backgrounds are super important and we can change them. So whether it's virtual or a real background, I think that that gives students something to talk about. If you remember Colin, when you were teaching, you probably had like a knee wall or something like that. So you can create your own makerspace. Uh, say the students' names a lot, you know? So that's something that we do face-to-face, -face, but we forget about it online. So we still have to remember to do that. Uh, let's see, there was a couple more creating units that tell a story, uh, and that goes on with the digital storytelling too. Use a lot of visuals to stimulate creativity. Uh, and get with a, like a support group. I wouldn't call it a support group, but like a media literacy group, like your writing group, you know? And then you can, I'm sure you guys bounce things off of each other and there's just, you evolve that way. It's just so much. But I do want to mention the one thing that gets in the way. And that actually got in the way of our presentation with her, our interview with her today is technology itself. So technology, using technology, the biggest problem with using technology can be technology itself. You know, our cameras are not always working. Our internet's not always working properly. So, you know, what do we do when our technology isn't working? You know, so those are things that we need to think about. And I know my daughter, she's a teacher. She gives her students every day. Remember, if this stops working, if I disappear for a few minutes, these are the things that you should be doing. 
Uh, that's so a, it, was, it was great. Don't, don't, don't you just love Lori? Yes, you know, and that you're right. You know, technology can stop working. And it's great that she already has that outlined for her students. If this happens, then this. And I would have to do that in my face-to-face -face classroom. You know, if, they're, if the power goes out or if my projector quits working, I did have to have a fallback. I couldn't just not have another plan. And the same is true online is to have that plan. And she mentioned so many great resources. I was already digging into Create to Learn Online and Universal Design for Learning is something that we teach in our methods courses for middle and secondary education. Something that is perhaps an accommodation really can benefit everyone in the classroom. So how does that translate to online learning? So I'm really interested in uh, checking out that resource, uh, looking at that book, and GSU Online has some wonderful resources for remote teaching and learning, and we'll be updating those on the College of Education website, as well as including notes for the references each of our uh, interviewees share with us on our podcast notes. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you today, Joy, and bringing the guest online. Laurie Hendrickson had so much to share, and we hope our listeners get a lot from today's episode. Yes, I certainly did. All I'll right. talk to you next time, Amy. Next time. Thank you for listening to Teaching and Learning, Theory versus Practice with Dr. Amy Viaclia and Dr. Joy Patterson. We hope that you have been inspired by this conversation and will join us again as we talk about trends in education and perspectives on teaching. We welcome your comments and feedback. What conversations are you interested in hearing? We'll leave it up to you, our listeners. Did theory or practice win the match? I think it was theory probably this time uh practice until next time we're dr amy and dr joy